Bring it in. Read option back. Scotty, Jeff holding on the fort. Vito is still just a touch busy out doing his stuff. Uh, and we're going to tease this now because I have a feeling it's going to be an all-time read option moment on Friday when we get him back. Vito was hanging out with not one, not two, but three of the Philadelphia Eagles rookies out in Philly on Saturday night when Scotty and I were hammered. Uh, actually, no, me. I was hammered. Um, uh, after, our, after our event at the Wells Fargo Championship. And we will get into that at the end of the pod. But Vito went out. With Grant Calcaterra, uh, Jurgens, the center, Cam Jurgens, the center from Nebraska, and then Carson Strong, the quarterback who the Eagles signed as an undrafted free agent out of Nevada, took him out into Philly. Uh, and all those boys better have been playing, you know, paying, right? Because I'm pretty sure all their rookie contracts are signed. So uh, that signing bonus hit. I hope they uh, treated our board Vito well. But that's going to be uh, an all-time story. We're going to do social clips and everything for that because uh, – Vito's Vito got after it apparently, and uh, I'm excited to hear what the Eagles rookies thought about Philly. And uh, curious who 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 do you think was the first recognized of that group? It has to be Jurgens, right? Second round would, guy. The videos of him have gone like viral. Uh, yeah, I would think that. Uh, no offense, Grant, but probably Carson second, just because he's quarterback. Uh, hmm. I would but guess, but who knows? Grant's, Grant's the biggest out of them. Grant's I think. the biggest for sure. Right. So yeah. he'd be the one you'd be like, is he a pro athlete? Is he an Eagle? Yeah. You know, those kinds of chatter would start to go. Well, I love the, uh, the idea of the juxtaposition of those three guys out with Vito. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. I, <laughs> Vito's not a huge guy. So that's the thing. Cause people who, you know, even if you watch on zoom, you really have no idea other than Vito's seat where we record the pod is further away from the screen than me and Scotty. So he looks small on the camera already. Um, but Vito's like five, six, five, seven. Yeah, I'm, I hope I'm not yeah. insulting him. Maybe he's like five, eight, but like Vito's not a very big dude. Uh, so yeah, and you're talking about Carson Strong, who's like six, three, Grant six, five, and Cam Jurgens is like six, one, six, two. And then Vito out there, he probably looked like their like club promoter or their agent or something. It'd be, uh, I'm excited <laughs> for the story because all the details we just shared to you guys are all the details Scotty and I know about this. Uh, and we, we might, Probably not likely, but uh, if somehow we're able to fit this in the back end of the pod, we might might have that happen. But uh, likely that's coming on Friday's pod. So all time story and uh, we'll get the full full play by play on Friday's pod from Vita. Um, other than that, Sigma Philadelphia. The Sixers are back. Yeah, how Sixers about that? are freaking back, dude. What a short, difference Joel Embiid makes. Joel Embiid's <laughs> got a broken face coming off a concussion wearing the Phantom of the Process mask again. And just like that, the Sixers look like the better team significantly. Now, look, role players always play better at home. But Philly's on fire now. Not only do they get a great draft class, uh, Bradbury, the cornerback from the Giants, who Eagles fans have been praying was going to get released, has officially been released today. So there's a good chance, apparently, how he's been in his pocket, basically this whole process here because the Eagles tried to make a trade for it if we get a cornerback the Eagles Philadelphia Philadelphia's home opener is going to be the second Monday night football game uh week two against the Minnesota Vikings uh which is exciting too because they're going to be I might be Joe Buck and Aikman depending on which of those games go but Monday Mm. night kickoff the first two Monday night games of the year 
I forget what the first one is, but the second one is Eagles Vikings. First time Vikings have been back since the 20, uh, 2018, 2017 playoffs. So That's lots right, of good yeah. stuff for the city of Philadelphia. Um, got this, the schedule gets released this week too, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, and in fact, there's been some already some, repump, you know, some, some rumblings coming out, some leaks, anonymous leaks here and there. So I think we get yeah, the, the full uh, breakdown. That'll be a part of Friday's pod. The Niners on the international one. I might be in Mexico City in, in uh, November. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, that'd be nice. Mexico in November actually sounds lovely. Um, but yeah, so Philly's on fire. The, the playoffs as a whole are looking great. Now, we're recording this on Monday night before Boston and Milwaukee and Golden State and Memphis play their game four. I still don't understand how the schedule worked out that way, that they both of these series started like two nights before the, yeah. the Dallas and Phoenix <laughs> and the Philly-Miami Heat, and yet there hasn't been more than a day off for any of these in, in those two series, and I think it makes it honestly a little bit better for the fans because right now, I mean, both of those series are two games apiece, and it feels like after what we saw in, uh, out of Dallas and Phoenix yesterday that the Mavs could damn near, damn near steal that series away. Uh, Luka Doncic playing on another level. So uh, as a whole, the playoffs in the NBA at least are on fire. Like I feel like there's a chance that we, the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference semis, all four series, go seven games. Yeah, and quite a turnaround from uh, Friday's podcast when we talked about how there were two really good series and two, two really, really bad ones. ones. Uh, and now the two really bad ones are equally, I think, as good as the uh, the the uh, the other two with the Warriors uh, and the and the Grizzlies and and Boston and and Milwaukee as well. So what a difference uh, a weekend makes, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> sure does. A couple of days off, a uh, little R and R, uh, some golf. <laughs> and here Seriously. we are boys <laughs> whole whole bunch to get into uh we're also going to hit a little bit on nba awards are finally announced everything the the main six ones uh Jokic is the mvp i don't think that's any shocking or breaking news to anybody uh monty williams also wins coach of the year that came out today tyler heroes sixth man of the year uh defensive player of the year was mark smart uh, most improved was Ja, and what's the other rookie of the year was Scotty Barnes. So uh, we have the full six all, already out. And you know what? I'm, we're just going to get this out of the way now because I've ranted, I think, probably three or four times on this pod about the MB, MVP thing. This is going to be the last thing I say about it, and we're never talking about it again. All right. It's a regular season award. Okay. Anything that Joel Embiid has done in this postseason, as incredible as it, as, as it is, has no justification, is no feather in a cap, is no point that you can be making about the MVP. And in my money, if I have one dude from this season I can I could have be the MVP, the guy who is on my team right now, it's Embiid or it's Giannis. And, and that's no slight to Jokic, who I think deservedly won the MVP. He was even better this year with a lesser team around him than he was the year before. I'm all for it. Congrats to Jokic. You earned it. But Sixers fans, all right, I'm, I'm begging you here. One dude got sent home in the first round. One dude's team sucks. And another dude is now 2-2 in the Eastern Conference semis, looking like the better team, physically dominating with a mask on, bam, out of bio. I mean, who would you rather be? Do I want Embiid to feel slighted by this? Because I think he's the kind of guy that will use it as oh, yeah. fuel to be better. Hell yeah. I would. Use it up. <laughs> But we don't like, – can we just stop with it? Do we have to still every single day on Twitter, like between whatever random-ass 
Barstool drama is going on today, which is just filling up my timeline. I, I can't even follow it. But between that and the MVP thing with Embiid and Jokic, there's been nothing else on my timeline other than those two things all day. So I'm just I'm, – I'm imploring us, all right? We win. We've won the breakup, right? If, if it's a debate between Jokic or, or Giannis, we're, we've got the better guy. We've got the guy who's on his way to try to go win a championship with vintage James Harden coming out of nowhere last night and dropping 31 on your head, going five of eight from three. That is where we are at, all right? So let's focus on the now. Let's gas up and bead, and let's keep this thing fucking rolling, okay? That's, and, and at this point, I'm, I'm done talking about anything else with the MVP. Jokic was amazing in the regular season. He deserves every single award. All of the nerd, you know, shit that people are talking about, the VORP and all these nerdy stats, they all apply to Embiid too. Embiid's number two in almost every single one of those categories. So mm -hmm. you can use that for just as strong an argument to make Embiid up. VORP is valid. Like nerds are nerds for a reason. They're smarter than us. They figured this shit out. And we know how good and important Embiid is on the court. All right. So it's done. It's over. We're playing. He's not. Let's focus on game five in Miami Tuesday night. All right. Yeah. And I think even Jokic would tell you that he'd rather have the Larry O'Brien than the MVP. hundred percent. Like any, any of those guys would. So, I mean, uh, and look, like look at uh, 2001, right? The last time the Sixers had an MVP was Allen Iverson, right? And that in the year they lost to the Lakers in the NBA finals. If you asked AI, would you rather have the MVP or the Larry O'Brien? He would say the same thing. All right. So if, if Embiid doesn't get an MVP, and they win a championship, then what are we talking about? What are we talking about? All right. Yeah. Um, that being said, I'm not ready to count it as we're even going to get past this round. So let's just, again, focus on game five, another couple of days from B to rest, and we'll move on. Um, that being said, let's get into the playoff action. Last night, the Sixers, big win, big win. And they're starting five. I saw somebody tweet this out, which was very funny. Um, it was like the starting five for the Sixers. It was 2018 Harden, 2025 Tyrese Maxey, 2019 Joel Embiid, 2019 Tobias Harris, and 2013 Danny Green. And, I, and that is kind of how it felt. That's and, a big five, not a big three. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> But that's how they all were playing. I mean, Danny Green is the unsung hero for these last two games, both Friday night and on Sunday night. Uh, yeah, he figured out how to shoot. And he's been huge. And he's, on, he's done that his whole career. Even in the years he's played for the Sixers in the postseason, like, Danny Green getting knocked out of that series against Atlanta and not playing in that whole series, I said at the time, was the biggest impact. It was the, the biggest loss that they had that no one ever talked about. Yeah, Simmons didn't dunk the ball, right? We, we can all find all these different things. But Danny Green was essential to that team. He, he played a massive role and still does play a massive role. And I know that he's not, you know, prime Danny Green anymore. But the experience, he's won championships on multiple different teams. He's a guy you want on your team, right? He's because he was on the, the bubble team for the Lakers too, right? Yeah. So he's got the Lakers chip, he's got the Raptors chip, and he's got the chips from the from the uh from the Spurs era. He's an important player for them. And again, he's their fifth option. All they need him to do is hit corner threes. Maxie's averaging 24 a game in the in the playoffs so far this season, and he's shooting 50, 40, 90 stats, right? And if Harden, which is my case with Harden this whole time, is like we don't need Harden to be what he was last night. We need him to be it probably at least once a series, right? But he doesn't need to be that every single night in order for them to win these games. And Embiid is just, he's, he's doing everything defensively, what he's able to do. And think about this too, like the mask thing, 
when you're not used, when you're not Rip Hamilton and you're not playing with it all the time, it screws up your peripheral vision. Like you can't see certain things. And the defense on ball against Jimmy Butler now, and Bede was also guessing a lot. Like he had to kind of guess to stay ahead of the ball. And, and Jay Buck got him on a couple of pump fakes there. He got burnt a few times. But if Jimmy Butler's going to put in 40, like he did in that game, and you have Embiid taking Bam Adebayo basically out of the game, which is what it was. Who who scares you on this team? 38-year-old Kyle Lowry who can't – you know, I think he went 0 for 6 in the line. He's clearly banged up still. I don't know why Duncan Robinson isn't playing. I think they're worried about having him, yeah. him and Tyler Hero on the floor defensively because that obviously is something the Sixers take advantage of. But – and I, I said this – I don't know if I said this on the pod. I think I did on Friday or on Friday's pod – but when you look at this team, like even before Embiid came back, I just felt more cemented that like if Embiid's playing in this series, the Sixers are the better team. And I feel like we've seen that over the last two games, but I don't know if that's just role players playing better at home or if there's actual truth in that. I, I, I'd i be interested to see the answer to that as they go back on the road here uh, for game uh, for game five. But uh, look, it was last night, the – heat shot less than 20% from three. And that's huge uh, against a team who, like, yeah, you can take Bam out of bio out of the interior. That's fine. But where Miami can kill you is guys like uh, Tyler Hero, guys like Struess, guys like Oladipo can get hot from three, and and that's the end of your night. Like, Because then you got to go out and honor that, and hey, look, Bam out of bio is playing tough in the middle. Um, so, so that, to me, is huge. I think it's a good a combination of both. I mean, the, the you you mentioned the the defense that uh, that Embiid was playing. I, there was a, a clip I saw on Twitter that was just unbelievable, like uh, against Jimmy Butler, where he had, he had him out on the perimeter and he tried to go one way, tried to go another way, and 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 Embiid was just sliding with him the whole time on the perimeter. It was uh, so I think uh, it's it's largely that having that presence back in Joel Embiid, um, but. Man, if the if the he can't shoot like they're accustomed to shooting, then that's going to be a problem. Well, and they're so they went fourteen of sixty five from three in the two games in Philly. Fourteen of sixty five is uh, is atrocious, right? We're talking about I think that's twenty two percent ish. Yeah, um, give or take. They went seven of thirty in game three. They went seven of thirty five. Uh, but it's also it's it's the guys that were taking the shots, right? Like Struess goes two of five from three. Um, that's going to happen. Jimmy Butler has never been a good three-point shooter. Two of six is what I expect him to. He might get hot a little bit. Uh, P.J. Tucker, one of four. Hero goes one of five. You're not going to see him do that from home. But like Gabe Vincent goes 0 for four. Like those role players always are going to be better at home during the playoffs than they are on the road. So I would expect like Gabe Vincent to go two of four as opposed to oh four, right? I would expect Struess to probably bet that same mark. I would expect Lowry to hit a couple there. Uh, Hero, obviously we would expect to play better in those situations. But I also think based off of what we've seen out of the Sixers teams, like Tobias Harris has been good on the road and at home. Danny Green has been good on the road and at home. Uh, Maxie's been good on the road and at home. Just the starting five, which Doc is typically more inclined to play his starting five, I have a lot more confidence that the Sixers are going to be able to do that on the road than Miami. But the thing is, and this is the cliche that everyone always says, right? Like, it's the old line that your dad says, like, you know, series doesn't start until a road team wins a game. 
you know, and, and so far we haven't seen a road team win a game yet. And, and as much as it is definitely a cliche, I do think there's truth in those. Like I, I think every cliche is born because they come from something that's happened many times over the years. I do think there's truth to that. Right. And the Sixers, I think game five is weirdly kind of a must win because I don't know if I want to see Harden in, in Miami in a game seven and, and conventional wisdom tells us like this, this series is starting to feel a lot like the Toronto series a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which is that when the Sixers are at home, they are, because remember that year too, and it was, I guess it was the 2018, 2019 season, the Sixers had like the best home record of any team in, in like 20 years. Like they were an absurd, like the splits were absurd. Now they haven't quite been that way over the last couple of years, but I also feel better weirdly about this team than I did about the 2018, 2019 team. Cause I think Embiid's just at another level than we've ever seen him at. And I think he's going to continue to get better. And I, I think there's something like that. Uh, you, do you know the meme of the dude who's in the hospital and it's like, he takes a picture. It's like a screenshot of a text, but he's sitting there with like the oxygen thing up. And it's says like hick looking dude. And he just says, I lived bitch. And it's a screenshot of the text. It's one of my favorite memes, but like, no. that's kind of how, how I feel about Embiid. Where it's like, oh, we like we thought it was over. We were all I was counting the Sixers out. I was counting the Sixers out in the freaking Toronto series at one point. Yeah. And it still just seems like every time Embiid is at this another level that I just have faith that there's nothing Miami can do to stop Embiid. And as long as Embiid's doing that, it's gonna make things easier for Harden because who's guarding Harden at this point? There's no great on ball defender on on, I mean, other than Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy Butler was covering Maxi for most of the game because they needed that. So I feel confident in that in game five, we're going to see at least Maxi or Harden have another big night. And I mean, Maxi dropped 34 in that game without Embiid in game two in Miami. If he was able to do that without Embiid, and obviously he took a lot more shots, but Maxi had, I think, almost 20 points in this in game four. He took 10 shots. It's efficient. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I just, I, I feel good. I, I, and JJ Reddick said this on an ESPN hit or sports center hit earlier today as well. It's just like Tobias Harris is the fourth option on this team. And yet he's playing the best basketball that he's played as a sixer. He's shooting the ball at almost 50% from three in these yeah. playoffs. Uh, he's getting to the rack. And as we saw in what was the most important play of that game last night, when Miami just kept kind of hanging around and Butler just kept making shots that Tyrese Maxey alley-oop to, to Tobias Harris on the baseline from basically half court, like, if you have a 21-year-old point guard doing that to your fourth option who's a borderline all-star player, you know, at his prime and, and Tobias Harris, that's a problem. And they're able to throw Thibel out there even for a couple minutes. Thibel's played better in these last couple games. Um, so I'm just may, again, maybe this is optimistic. I don't know, but I'm just feeling I'm feeling very good about the Sixers in game five. But I do think it's a game, I think it's a must-win. Yeah, I I would agree with you because you know if if you're forced to to have to go back down in a series and then play in front of your home crowd again uh just to get back to even like this is where you need to steal one like it's i I would say either game one to to set the tone or game five on the road Mm -hmm. uh are the are probably the most important games uh, of a series if you're if you don't have home court um and it's it's essentially it's it's a three-game series now yeah. You know, yeah. that's, and again, that goes back to that dumb cliche that you're, you know, every dad says at a barbecue around this time of year, but it's the truth. And I'll say this too. 
I didn't think there was any shot in hell the Sixers were going to win game six in Toronto. I, I there was there's I didn't I thought there was no shot and on draft night first round and they won by 35 right that is something that this iteration this this era the process era of Sixers playoff runs of the last four or five years they've never been able to do that they've never been able to go on the road even last year they blew game six against Atlanta right you know like this is the kind of stuff that they did they blew those games when they needed to win them on the road and we saw that game against Toronto and they just absolutely wiped the floor of them. And I wouldn't expect that to happen against the heat, but I mean, Kyle Lowry looked bad. Like he, he looked really, really bad. I don't even know if they can play him that much. And then you're really talking about, all right, well now the pressure is on guys like Max Struess and Gabe Vincent who were undrafted, you know, first or second year players. And this is a big moment. And by the way, you also have Jimmy Butler staring you daggers every time you miss a three. And if you're going to, I'll, I'll let Jimmy Butler get his 40, but Bam is not scoring more than 20 points against Embiid in the post, unless Embiid gets hurt or gets into foul trouble, you know, knock on wood. But (laughs) at this point, like that's the only, I think that's really the only hope that the heat have is you have to get Embiid in foul trouble and you have to try to wear him out. But he's gotten so good defensively defending the rim. Um, and, and the other thing is too, is if you had to make a bet, who's going to get into more foul trouble Embiid guarding it, bam or bam guarding Embiid? Um, yeah, it's he, bam. <laughs> bam had four fouls in the first two minutes of the third quarter. Yeah. So if, if that's what, if that's what we're talking about here, I feel exceedingly more comfortable with the Sixers there, but at the same time, it's Doc, it's James Harden, it's guys who have a history, and though it's not Embiid's fault ever, and, you know, Embiid hasn't been out of the second round. So this is arguably the most important game of Joel Embiid's career. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, huge. <laughs> and you can say the game seven against Toronto, you know, you can say game seven against Toronto or against Atlanta last year, but I – this feels like the most important game. Well, because now every win, if especially if you get the, the road win in game five, every game is going to become the most important game of his career because yeah. now you're playing for a shot to get out of the second round yeah. uh, and go to the conference finals. Um, so, hey, man. <laughs> like, and if, if, they beat to, if they beat Miami in game five, there's no way in hell they lose game six, right? Yeah. Again knock on wood because that's the kind of shit I would say. And then of course I'm going to be wrong. Cause I feel like I'm always wrong when I'm picking the playoffs no. here for the Sixers, which well, look, part of I, me wanted to come out and do a whole bit about how the Sixers are actually not that good. They're actually going to probably lose game five just to, just to reverse jinx it. Because I feel like every time I talk about the Sixers in the playoffs for the last four years, I've been wrong. Yeah, well, you did say that they were done uh, on Friday's pod, and here we are. So they're done, Jeff. They're toast. They're done. Uh, put a stick a fork in them. Ugh, they're like a sizzler steak, <laughs> overcooked well and done. dry. Um, all right, that's enough Philly talk. Um, let's move on to the other game that we saw Sunday night, and the other two games I guess we saw since we last talked: Phoenix in Dallas. And wow, has this series also made a giant change? Um, this is fun because this is a level of Luca that I think anyone who's closely followed the NBA has been waiting to see Luca in a spot like this, you know? Yeah. He's, he's so good at, at pretty much everything. And what's amazing to me is like, 
and and game three in that series on Friday night is a great example of this, right? Like Luca's stat line, 26, nine assists, 13 rebounds. That's not Luca dropping 45 like he did in games one and two. That's Luca getting two games into a series, kind of like what we saw Milwaukee do last year and Giannis do last year, where it felt like, you know, the Bucs lost game one of every single series during their playoff runs. And then they went two down 2-0 against Phoenix in the NBA Finals. And it was kind of this, like, I'm figuring it out. And it's like, tonight, I have no choice. I have to drop 40 or else we have no shot. And yeah. they ultimately lose game one, game two. And then they come in at game three, and he's like, all right, I'm still going to score. I'm still going to get mine. But I'm getting everybody else involved here. And Jalen Brunson, who is turning in – I mean, I love Jalen Brunson. Obviously, he's a Villanova dude. But – 28 from Jalen Brunson, um, and he only going – this is the other thing, too – only going one of five from three. So it's not like he was pouring it in. He can get by, guys. He, he's surprisingly a really good finisher for his size because he's only, like, barely six foot if we're, if we're being generous to him. Uh, and then the other thing with Luka is Phoenix was giving him so much attention that he's just constantly giving it out to other people, right? So, like – Dwight Powell is technically the starting center, but for all intents and purposes, Kleba plays the most minutes, right? He had 33 in game three. Dwight Powell had 10. So if you look at the starters, they all were in double digits, right? Kleba off the bench in those 33 minutes had 14 points. Uh, Brunson has his 28. Reggie Bullock had 15. Uh, uh, Finney Smith has 14, right? And, and yet Luca was still able to get his and get to the foul line. This is a dangerous version of Dallas where it's like once Luca feels like he can maneuver the game, then they're in a good spot. And what they've done defensively is basically say the only way we lose is if Deandre Ayton is beating us. And in games three and four, Ayton has been terrible. Yeah. Well, like, like you said, they're forcing him to, uh, and it's not just because, you know, he's got the ball in his hand all the time. Ayton, it's like uh, game four, for example, Chris Paul getting in foul trouble and missing most of the fourth quarter uh, where he's led that team to be dominant in closing out games. That's huge. Mm. That's huge because now you have to, I mean, he's the one of the best facilitators in the NBA. Uh, no, no question about it. And, and so if, if a game's running through him and they've been that good uh, closing out games in the fourth quarter, I, I, I to have not have him on the floor is, is a massive blow. Um, so, and then on the offense for Luca, it's, it's him doing everything right, but it's the offense is running through him, but he's also running great off ball, uh, and he's setting screens and he's distributing the ball. And then he's also scoring on top of that, uh, and getting to the hole. So, uh, and that, that's huge too, man. Like, like this is the, the verse we talk about Jokic winning the MVP. This is the, the kind of play that we expected, uh, from Luca to put him at an MVP level if he played like that for an entire season. Granted, this is a small sample size, but yeah. still, always what we've thought he could do. Well, and Luca allows you to do – because Luca's not a good defensive player, right? I, I, and that's not what I'm trying to say here. But there is something to having a guy his size – I mean, he had 13 rebounds in game three, right? Like, he can rebound the ball. He can force his way under the basket. He's not a rim protector, God no, and he can't guard anyone out on, on the perimeter. But he is a bigger body, and what I – really kind of love what the Suns have done is defensively they've tried to take Mikhail Bridges out of the game as much as possible right so Bridges he's their arguably their third best scoring option maybe even number two depending on which version of Chris Paul we're getting like Chris Paul is always going to be a better scorer than uh, my, my, uh, Mikhail Bridges 
But Mikhail Bridges can do a little bit off the dribble. He's obviously a great three-point shooter. And a lot of what he and Crowder do in their offensive system, it can get a little redundant, right? Like a great option for the Suns is to either have Jay Crowder or Mikhail Bridges in a corner for a three. And they rotate and stuff to try to get some of that action, try to get one of those two guys an open look. And they're doubling down. Finney Smith is like doubling down, making sure Mikhail Bridges is not going to be the guy who gets the open look because he is just a more dangerous, better scorer than Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder had 13 shots in game four, right? He scores 15, but again, six of 13, that's like a good stat line for, for Jay Crowder, but they needed all 13 of those, you know? And Devin Booker is just getting hounded. Yeah, Devin Booker had 35 last night, but as you said, Chris Paul gets into foul trouble early. He played 23 minutes in this game. Yeah. And you can't even blame Scott Foster because he was the asshole doing game four in Philly. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, there was an amazing stat I'd seen um, combined Harden and Chris Paul when Scott Foster refs one of their playoff games. They were like one in 27 combined. And the one Jesus. win was Harden when they beat the Clippers. Oh, my God. So literally the, <laughs> the one win that Harden was there until last night. And then the Sixers end up pulling that game out and James Harden goes off. But <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting series. I, again, going back game five to a piece, I trust Chris Paul to figure it out. You know, we saw new Orleans and stuff hang around and, Oh, they were, you know, they send out the, uh, I already forget his name, but the, uh, the dude who was bug uh, on, on new Orleans, who was bugging Chris Paul. Um, oh, Alvarado. Alvarado. Thank you. You know, they, they were sending him around. You had Herb Jones locking down guys, right? And then ultimately, like, what did Chris Paul do in that game six? Oh, yeah, he goes 14 of 14 yeah. and has like a legendary game and, and does Pretty what Chris good. Paul does. And I would expect to see that out of Chris Paul until we find out that, yeah, like game five is going to be a Scott Foster game. Um, but if you're getting Cam Johnson in the game for 30 minutes, yeah. you know, I, I like Cam Johnson, great role player. That's a problem for Phoenix. It is. And look, I, look, the rotation for Phoenix was absolutely insane. Like they had tons of guys who were, who were uh, in the lab. They only had two, uh, two did not plays and one of them was hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they used everybody for at least some time. And then I think they had to with Chris Paul being out. And then the other thing that blows my mind is Devin Booker playing 43 minutes, uh, 35 points, uh, 12 of 13 from the line uh, shoot shot. Uh, just under 50% from the field, uh, minus 12. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. How does and, and that happen? Plus minus isn't always a great indicator, right? But in certain contexts, I think it can be. And I think this is yeah. kind of one of those where it was like, and, and I'll, I'll also say this too. I, look, Chris Paul plays 23, Booker plays 43. I don't know how many of those minutes were without the other, but at least at minimum, Devin Booker played 20 minutes, you know, best case scenario, played 20 minutes without Chris Paul on the floor. And that's assuming that for all 23 of Chris Paul's minutes, the Devin Booker was also on the floor. And when Devin Booker's out there without Chris Paul, Devin Booker has to go to that version of himself that he was pre-Chris Paul being on Phoenix, which was a hybrid one to two guard where he had to kind of run some of the offense, but he was still trying to do the stuff that makes Devin Booker as good as he is. Yeah. And that, again, is a problem for Phoenix. You don't want Devin Booker trying to 
create the offense as much as you want him to be a scoring option off of a guy like Chris Paul or campaign, but campaign's not a true number one. They don't have anyone else who can really distribute it other than Booker. So yeah, Chris Paul gets into trouble. Well, now Devin Booker becomes the one and Mikael Bridges has to kind of slide over and be what Devin Booker was, which is not a great position for either one of those guys. And I'll say this too. They keep throwing Mikael Bridges on Luca and Luca's getting where he wants. Luca's got, I mean, they, cause the height wise, they're both about six, eight and Luca's got like what 50 plus pounds at least on Mikhail oh, yeah. Bridges easy so, so anything in the post already Bridges is at a, a disadvantage and then he's just Luca's just so good this this old man style basketball where he just controls the pace he gets to his spots he always seems to make the right pass and then he's been a knockdown three-point shooter in this series I, I, I again I'm still going to take Phoenix but if Luca's if Luca has figured out what Phoenix is doing to him defensively, which it seems like he has based off these last two games, Phoenix has to make adjustments. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's if it's trying to double team Luca, but even if you do that, he's gonna crush you with passes out of the double team. I guess I guess the hope is that you can't let those side guys kill you. You have to force Luca to play hero ball. Um, but I mean, if Jalen Brunson's gonna put up you know, 28 and then 18 and, and stuff like that. I mean, Finney Smith goes eight of 12 from three. Like, I don't think those numbers are necessarily good indications of, how, no. of what the rest of the series will look like for Dallas. But uh, when they play that smaller lineup with Kleba at the five and just say, Hey, Deandre, and you're, you're, your team's only hope unless Chris Paul, you know, stays out of foul trouble and kind of takes it over. I think this game, I think this series could go seven. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it, it, Luke is playing like the guy at the, at the pickup court, right? With the, the, the amount of fundamentals that you have, it's the guy that you don't want to play uh, when you go oh, play yeah. pickup basketball. Cause it's just like, he's just going to be a scoring machine. You're going to put two guys on him. He's going to do his thing anyway. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if, if he's getting to his spot uh, and I think uh, a lot of what Phoenix has to do in, in terms of adjusting is go back to the drawing board. Cause this is sort of what Giannis did to them in the finals last year when he started to take over games and, and, it looks similar in terms of, of way of playing now. I mean, like Luca's not as physical and getting to the basket uh, like Giannis did because he would just dominate uh, at every position of the floor um, and defensively too. Uh, but offensively or, or defensively rather for the Suns, you have to sort of, I think, figure, figure out a way to combat that uh, like you had to do in the finals last year. And I think with the experience, I, you're, I think you're right. Ultimately, they are the ones that, that win the series. But uh, that's that's sort of the mentality I think you have to have. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too. This can be a career-altering – like when you think of trajectory, like this could be a series, to say the other side of it, that we say this was the official Luka Doncic, not just – you know, having unbelievable games in the first round of the playoffs, you know, kind of like young MJ against, you know, against the Celtics at the 63. Like, again, not to say that, you know, what we've seen Luca do or that he's going to be Michael Jordan or anything like that. I just mean, this could be a career altering playoff series for Luca if they found a way to come back from the 2-0 and win. Because before this year, you know, we say, oh, and Bede's never been out of the second round. But until this year, Luca had never been out of the first round. And now there's, he's got a chance to be in the, in the Western Conference Finals. And I'll say this, too. I think Dallas could beat Golden State. I think Dallas can beat Memphis. I wouldn't bet on it 
I would I would take Golden State over Dallas as we stand right now, but they absolutely could. That'd be that an interesting said, series. The I, I didn't are, want to play them. I was I was hoping to avoid them in the first round. Well, we're, um, we're going to take a break and then we'll talk about Golden State and Memphis and and Boston and and uh, Milwaukee. But get, answer this now: Which of the two teams in this series, assuming Golden State moves on, which is still an assumption, um, and we'll get into why, but assuming that they do, which team would you rather play? I'd rather play Dallas, yeah. just because I, I know I know we have the 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 depth and the longevity to, to play with them. Uh, Cause we're both going to end up playing small ball, uh, which is yeah. fine. And I, and then at that point I'm taking my three shooters over there one. So uh, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think you can put Draymond on Luca. The flops yeah. of Luca versus the technical fouls of Draymond would be a hell of a matchup. <laughs> and yeah, uh, just pester him. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit on the other two series here get into a little golf talk and uh, Kentucky Derby stuff. And we'll, uh, we'll move on here on the pot. All right. So as I said before, we are still a couple hours away from game four of the Grizzlies and Warriors series and the Celtics and Bucks. Uh, two series that feel a lot differently. Um, actually, I'll say this, the Bucks Celtics series feels about the same as we did when we were talking about it on Friday, but the Memphis and Gr- Golden State one does not. And that is because of, um, John Morant, John Morant, likely not playing in game four. Of course, again, as we do on during Monday nights on the football season, we sound often pretty dumb. So maybe he does end up playing. He did a little shoot around, uh, but he was not there for the full shoot around this morning, which is definitely worrisome. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, Scott. I can guess based off of, you know, your fandom and I, and I know you, uh, I didn't think the whole, the whole grab the Jordan pool grabbing John Morant's leg. I didn't think that that was that bad. And it, it no. seems like, you know, John Morant, you know, tweeted something out about like, bro- you broke the code or something like that. I, he'd since, you know, deleted the tweet, but I didn't think what he did was that bad. I, I really didn't. It, it seemed like it was a whole lot to do about nothing. And then apparently there was a play in that game, just a couple of uh, possessions earlier where he dove out after a ball and he and Clay Thompson collided. And that it was, was like, yeah, it was a closeout uh, yeah. where he landed awkwardly. Yeah. I was like, hey, you probably hurt your knee on that play. And then maybe it got exaggerated a little bit more when Jordan Poole did it. But I got for all that for as dirty. And we talked about how dirty we thought the um, Dylan Brooks thing was in, in game two. And how I didn't really think that was much of a dirty play. Well, if that wasn't a dirty play, then the Jordan Poole thing certainly was not. Super benign. Play. Yeah, 100%. And look, it, it, even if if that was the play where Ja got hurt, I, I still don't think that it that it was a, a ton of, of anything at all. Like, it's Jordan Poole going after the ball. He's, we're in a double team here with Steph on the other side. Like, Jordan Poole is is trying to get after the ball in, in a contested spot in the half court. Like, uh, to me, that that was just an aggressive. It was an aggressive basketball play. It was probably could have been called a foul, uh, but I don't think it was a dirty play by any means. Like he was not trying to grab his right leg and rip it out from underneath him. Like I, if if anything, the intent wasn't there at all. Like not even close. If anything, like and again, it, it's it was a mistake and that he probably shouldn't have grabbed the knee, right? Um, but. You see this, like, there's so much hand, like, legal hand checking, not in, like, the forearm ways that you would see in the 90s. Um, but there's so much grabbing that goes around with guys' hips. 
if, if you really look at like broken down plays and how guys box out and do some of the nitty gritty stuff and defending, they will try to get you on your kind of like cornerbacks do the same thing with wide receivers, right? They always put the back of your hand on the, on the outside of the uh, wide receiver's hip. And it's just mm-hmm. a way to kind of keep your body a little bit closer without grabbing. It seemed like he was kind of reaching around and then he went for the hip, but the hip wasn't there. And then he just kind of grabbed the knee like, instinctually. Um, but there was no like tug. There was nothing, there was nothing vicious. And again, the intent is a big part of it. If he had grabbed the knee and like, ripped it out like you know he was like oh he's going for the ball but did it with the knee that'd be different I really don't think that that's what happened um and yeah I think I think as you said the close out there on Clay Thompson when he he landed weird on his knee probably had more to do with it and also John Morant is just a vicious player you know and how he attacks the rim how he's he so attacks twitchy the, too yeah like, like there's a million and not only that the amount of hard falls he's taken over the course in this playoffs like it's probably a bunch of little things and the landing would might have just been the thing that kind of broke, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Because um, even the closeout one wasn't super awkward. Like, it didn't even look super awkward. Like, I've seen guys have worse landings um, who've been fine. So it's probably a little bit of wear and tear. And I think that's kind of a lot of people's concern about Ja as a whole. The question for them is, he just got blown out by 30 <laughs> against Golden State Warriors where – you know, basically, just like we talked about on, on Friday's pod about, well, we're saying this all now, and then Clay Thompson's going to have a sick game, you know, where he goes, you know, four, six, and three. Steph, only two of eight from three. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. gets some buckets. Jordan Poole goes three huge. of five. Yeah. Um, and then Wiggins is, I think, the unsung hero of this game, too, where Wiggins was just flying around the court defensively. You know, and I remember yeah. the year he and Embiid were coming out, like, I wanted Wiggins because I thought that the defensive potential from Wiggins and what we saw when he was at Kansas was off the charts. And then the offensive hope was like, oh, yeah, but he he will develop the offensive game enough. And that obviously hasn't happened. But if you're getting 17 from Wiggins when he's playing really, really good defense and is just hand in the face of anyone who needs a hand in their face, this team becomes a lot more dangerous. Similar to what we're saying like Danny Green, like if Kaminga and Wiggins are giving you high quality minutes, that's a good place to be in if you're a Warriors fan. Yeah, hundred percent, right? And and so for uh, a correction by me, it was Wiggins on that play involved with Jordan Poole and John Morant, not uh, not Steph Curry. Uh, but yeah, uh, the to the point about the defense, like uh, he's he's been huge defensively in both series, uh, particularly with the help defense uh, against uh, against Jokic in in Denver, uh, against Denver rather. So. Um, Hey, he's he's fine, and and look, if he's your third uh, and sometimes fourth uh, best option on on offense, uh, the way Jordan Bull's been playing, like I'll take that all day long. <laughs> With the minutes that he's getting, I mean, he's he had he was probably up over uh, close to forty, I would guess. Uh, quick check here. Oh no, he was at twenty six. Oh yeah, we had like a ton of rotation, uh, and well, that part of that was the blowout, but still, like. I'd venture for the playoffs. He's averaging up around 35 to 37 um, minutes a game. So um, well, when they want to go real small too, sometimes they'll bump him down to the four and then they'll bring yeah. in obviously the three with, with clay and Jordan Poole and Steph. Yeah. Then they sometimes will keep him off and they'll have a like Looney and Draymond in or Looney or Draymond in, and then it's pool and, you know, uh, and then with Kaminga. So he's been averaging about 30 minutes a game throughout this. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, it's a shame. Um, obviously, like we, I think we all want Ja Morant to play 
in this in this game. Right, most improved. Um, he shouldn't have even been in. What any, is that? Yeah, that, in that conversation. Like, he's already good. Like anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I would. I want to do it. You're you're one hundred percent right. I want to do this. I, I want it to be a, a slugfest with uh, with one of the best players in the NBA on the court. Um, I don't want it to be an excuse. I don't want the rest of the series to be like, oh, well, you won four two because it was because of a dirty play on John Moran. Like, Even so, John, dude, John played thirty. John led the team in minutes. Yeah, right. Like, he's, he, he's going to do that because he has to be on the floor, especially with Dylan Brooks out. Like he has to be on the floor. I'm surprised he didn't have more. Um, well, and that's the thing. Like without Dylan Brooks, that was ultimately the biggest. I, yeah. I think the Dylan Brooks thing had more to do with this result in the thirty point win mm-hmm. on Saturday than anything else. Uh, and, yeah, and I still think it's a win just because of the way our offense played. Um, but it wasn't a, a 30 point win. But going no. back to the thing we talked about with role players, like right? role players playing better at home than on the road, all of Memphis's team are role players, right? Like uh, other than Ja, I mean Jaron Jackson Jr., yeah, he has the potential to be a really good, like, you know, borderline all-star player. I like Jaron Jackson. If he can ever learn to not foul out of games, he would be that much more valuable. I mean, granted, he only had three fouls in this game, but I think that's like the first time all year. But it's, you know, Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain and Zaire Williams and Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson and and Steven Adams and DeAndre Melton. Like, they're all role players. And now it's one thing, too, when you're playing Minnesota and albeit a a great atmosphere that we saw in, in that stadium, uh, in that arena during the first round, but that team is so young. That team was even younger than the Grizzlies were, right? And so it's their first taste of the playoffs. The Grizzlies at least had a little bit more of a taste in the playoffs. I look at at Golden State compared to Minnesota, and you're like, this is a team that has won massive games. This is a team that went down from a 3-1 deficit to, to Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and still came back and won. This is a team that has won three championships over the last five seasons, right? Or six seasons, however long it's been. You're talking about a bona fide team of veterans with as much playoff experience as any team has in the league. They're not folding it, in these games. So and it's, if, it's the core too. It's, it's, it's literally like Draymond, Steph and clay. And then I, what they're doing for, for these younger guys, even as far as Kevon Looney, but what they're doing to, uh, Otto Porter, this is like one of his first super long stints in the playoffs at this point, right? Uh, even not that he's he's young, but Damian Lee, who's young, Jordan Poole, who's in his third year, uh, 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 Kaminga, Moses Moody, who had some minutes the other night. Like it's it's huge for and it for makes all sense of these that guys. why and it makes sense as to why those guys played better at home than they did in games one and two. Now, granted, Golden State did steal. Uh, was it game two or game, game one? one? Game one they stole, right? So they stole one on the road already from Memphis, uh, which is huge for that home court battle. But all of those guys played better at home in game three than they had in either of the first two games where it felt like Clay and Steph and Draymond willed them to that game in game one. These guys at home are free. Like Kaminga had 18 points. A, r- a rookie had 18 points. Or is he technically? I guess his second year. I yeah, guess. Well, he he was in the G League, yeah. But yeah, yeah. He's, he was. Similar, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, but again, totally different. Like, yes, it's the G League, whatever. This is his first year in the NBA. Yeah. First year playing in the NBA. He was drafted this year, so yeah, technically he's a rookie. But Kaminga having 18 points is is insane. And that when you're getting that scoring from Wiggins, Kaminga, Clay has 21, Otto Porter Jr., and then obviously Jordan Poole has his 27. 
not that Draymond was going to be shooting much anyway in this series, but you just you free him, him up. No, you just free him up to do what Play Draymond team. does best, which is great defense and help orchestrate the rhythm of the offense because he knows exactly where everyone needs to be. And they, yep. they've complete because of Steph and Clay, you can't play Steven Adams out on the court, you know. So now you, you're forcing them to play, you know, Xavier Tillman, who's a younger dude who's not used to playing that. You're playing Kyle Anderson and Brandon Clark, small ball five. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I don't see a world where Memphis, especially without John Morant, has any, you know, chance in this series. I just, yeah. I don't. No, not without Ja. I, I, honestly, like that, that to me is, is, a bigger blow than the Sixers losing and beat uh, yeah, for two games. 100%, 100%. Because at least you have other guys around you, right? At least you have other guys in Philly, whether it's Harden, you know, guys who can at least handle the ball. And yeah. they, I mean, they got smoked in their first two games against Miami on the road because you're asking, you know, young guys like Maxi and you're asking guys like Hope, uh, Tobias Harris and, and guys like that to step up and play big and on those games on the road. Memphis already losing the home court advantage getting blown out by 30, and now the guy who is the heart and soul of your entire team is out of this game, um, it, do, it doesn't set up well for them moving forward. So I think Golden State will more than yeah. likely close this series out. Um, I hope so. Probably in five. I don't know. I mean, I guess it also depends on, on Ja, because Ja was a maybe to play tonight, so maybe Ja will be back in time for game five. But even still, at that point, you're staring down a 3-1 deficit to – one of the best runs, one of the best organizations um, that we've had in sports over the last decade. So, yeah. And the, the other guy I wanted to shout out to is, uh, is Otto Porter Jr. Like mm-hmm. the, if we can get him playing 20 minutes to split time with Draymond. So he's not out there uh, getting banged up. So he's not out there getting in foul trouble and then to drop 13 points and a plus 30 on like, he was fives across the board in the stack categories. Like that's huge. Like yeah. that is, that's the, some of the most impactful 20, 25 minutes uh, that I've almost ever seen in the playoffs, save for, for like, uh, oh, anyway. Yeah. It's, Did you it's, see the thing, by the way, about Otto Porter Jr. That uh, about uh, how he's potentially Will Chamberlain's, <laughs> Will Chamberlain's great. Yes. I don't, yes. Otto I'm here Porter Jr. It. Yeah. And it's so funny. I, I went to Twitter to pull it up here. The picture is, is crazy. Especially when he when they wore the throwback uniforms that yeah. Will had with the blue and the yellow and red, and it says yeah. FILA for Phila because this is back when the Warriors played in Philly. Um, and it's the same one, but it says Warriors across the top. I don't know, man. I I don't know <laughs> if this is confirmed, but you know, Will Chamberlain's known for having set having had sex with like twenty thousand women. At least that's what he claimed. That's a lot. Um, but you look at the pictures. He's got a hundred points in a game. I mean, geez. I don't know, man. Might need to do some genetic testing there, though. You know, not that we have Will anymore these days. Um, yeah, absolutely crazy. Uh, the last series, Boston and Milwaukee. Uh, what a great series. I think this series is living up to the expectations. Um, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I think these are the two best teams, arguably, in the league. And this has been Milwaukee without Chris Middleton. Um, to, to, for Milwaukee to be up two games to one, and now playing this game at home in Milwaukee um, with a chance to go up 3-1, and they haven't had Chris Middleton this whole time, it says a lot about Giannis, dude. It just it says a lot. Yeah. And, and, again, going to that role-player thing, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, all these side pieces and all these side players that Milwaukee has, like this makes them that much more dangerous. Uh, this makes them, I think, that much scarier for Boston. And, and I th- – 
I don't know. I mean, this game, what's crazy is like this game, this series could be 3-0 Boston just as easily as it could be, you know, 3-0 Milwaukee. And that's like the tall tale sign of a really, really good um, series. But it does scare me a little bit uh, to think about what Milwaukee would be with Middleton right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, even with him out, you know, even Giannis was in foul trouble at one point. Uh, so was Brooke Lopez. So uh, if any one of those guys gets into foul trouble late in the game or or there's an injury like we saw last year in the, in the finals, like uh, particularly one to like uh, to Giannis, uh, that's that's going to spell big trouble mm-hmm. because these games are far too close and, and these teams are far too good defensively to let uh, if if a star on on Milwaukee or, or one of their their super important role players is, is no longer a factor that's that's it dude that's it that's how well, close this series is yeah and, and Giannis I mean 42 eight assists 12 rebounds monster game for him on Saturday but as you said too had four personal fouls right and the defense that they played as a team on Jason Tatum I mean Jason Tatum had 10 points in this game like Al Hor- they basically are saying like Al Horford, you need to score 25 plus if you if you want to have a chance here because Al Horford 22 uh, wow. and was a Vintage. monster on the glass. And still, <laughs> if Al Horford jumps a half second earlier on that putback or one of the first putbacks go at the at the foul line there, this game goes into overtime. I don't think Jason Tatum is going to have back to back bad games, and I I think he's going to go up and have a fucking night tonight. I think he's probably I could see him dropping 35 easily. Uh, but the other scary thing with Boston right now is like they've been in all these games. They, they've lost two games, but Jalen Brown in the game that they won in game two was sensational. And he was sensational in this game too, right? 27 from Jalen Brown, 12 rebounds, playing fantastic defense. But for all of the talk we had going into this series, thinking like, oh, well, they have Horford, they can throw at Giannis, and they have Robert Williams they can throw, and Grant Williams, and, and hell, even if you need to put Tatum or, J- or Jalen Brown, I mean, Jalen Brown's not big enough to guard Giannis, but you have four dudes who you could leave on for a couple possessions against Giannis, and it just doesn't matter. Giannis is just better. He's bigger. Yeah. He's stronger. He's more athletic. And he's gotten so good at passing out of the double team like I didn't even realize Grayson Allen actually didn't score a point in this game, but Pat Connaughton goes three of eight from three, you know, Wesley Matthews hits a three, uh, Brooke Lopez. And that's, I kind of love what they did there. It's like, yeah, you might have three slightly undersized big guys with Grant Williams. who's like six ten, and Al Horford's like six ten. Jason Tatum's like six, nine. So you have some guys who can throw them, but they have two start seven footers in their starting lineup between Brooke Lopez and Giannis. And they're like, all right, well, we're just, going to have more big guys out on the floor than you have. And Giannis is still going to be able to play that point Giannis because I don't even think point forward is fair to describe him as. He's a point Giannis. He's his own thing. Yeah, and and they're doing this whole thing without – I mean, Bobby Portis playing 26 minutes. Like They're just matching all of the Celtics' size and guys that they can throw at Giannis with bigger size. Yeah, and it's not just size. It's guys who can fly around the court. Too mm-hmm. on, the, on the perimeter and play defense against a good three point shooting team in Boston. So, uh, if you can shut that down, you're in business. But, uh, like I said, the depth is an issue, and it's weird. Like, I'm looking at the uh, the box scores from each of the uh, the two games in the east that we that we missed, and it's like, uh, well, the rotation is vastly different. I mean, there's five and six guys uh, that are that are healthy scratches, and then you look in the in the two 
Western Conference games, and it's like the rotation's insane. There's all but one or two guys that aren't playing uh, on each of these teams and getting minutes. So, uh, I mean, other depth... than other than Miami, Miami feels like they have to kind of dig deep with some of their depth. But you know, but even still, yeah, it's usually like I mean, they have multiple DNPs there. The other thing too is both of those games are a little bit more blowout. So like some of the minutes and like the, the Phoenix yeah, yeah, guys, the sure. guys who put like a couple minutes at the end, but you're definitely right in that. I mean, especially without Middleton, like Milwaukee has to play Giannis 40 plus minutes a game, you know, yeah. drew holiday, drew holiday pulling out vintage drew holiday games. Um, and, and the job he's done against guys like Marcus smart and Jalen, you know, even Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday is like, hey, you you want to give Marcus Smart defensive player of the year? You're going to say he's the best guard defensively in the NBA. He's like, I've, I've held that title for a decade now, dude, and and watch me go to work. And I, I just think the team defense, too, with, with Milwaukee, and this is what they did all last year. I mentioned it earlier in the pod. They lost game one in every single one of those series, and they just adjust. And whenever they were able to adjust, it just seemed like there was nothing that the other team can do. And I, I think Milwaukee, even without Chris Middleton, should be the favorites in this series. But I just don't believe that Jason Tatum is going to get held to 15 or less points in all these games. And I think what's smart defensively is what Milwaukee's doing is they are focusing on Tatum and they're going to force Jalen Brown to score 30 a game. They're going to force Al Horford to put up 20. They're going to make Derek White hit his shots. I mean, Derek White going two of three from three is probably the most surprising thing in this entire stat line. And Boston still damn near did it. But this is also without Chris Middleton, which I just I don't think that can be understated just how important of a player Chris Middleton is. He's so unassuming. He's so quiet. You know, he's in Milwaukee, all this shit. But we sat here a year ago talking about Chris Middleton dropping 40 point games in a series against Brooklyn in the second round. You know, and and that's the kind of stuff that they're missing. And and yet it hasn't seemed to slow them down because other than game two, where the Celtics played basically a perfect game defensively. It's felt like Milwaukee's been the better team on the court when you're just watching, right? If you if you brought an alien or someone who's never watched basketball before and said, which of these two teams are better through the three games, I think most teams would say right now without Chris Middleton, it's still Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. The Monsters are taking Giannis's talent in that scenario, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we all would at this point. Um, all right, well, let's do predictions now. I have Boston winning tonight behind a Jason Tatum monster performance in a really tight game tying it up and then i have golden state winning uh comfortably again here probably by 20 plus i'm gonna say uh, against memphis we're just going tonight just for tonight yeah okay uh no, no fuck it let's do let's do both we'll do tonight and wednesday or all tuesday. right send it milwaukee is winning they're up 3-1 they're not losing home court oh uh, <clears throat> and uh same with the greatest team in the on planet earth the golden state warriors uh who will be up 3-1 uh, heading back to Memphis. Uh, I think this goes six, though. Um, you think Memphis pulls one out? Yeah, well, I could I think see that, so. too. Like, Ja comes back a little banged up and has just, like, an yeah. absurd performance. Just a vintage and, game, yeah. Yeah. On That's the interesting. Uh, I have, uh, for tonight, I have Boston, and I have Golden State as well. And then for Tuesday night, Philly, Miami, and then Phoenix and Dallas. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one here. I think Philly pulls one out on the road, uh, just because I think Miami's a little bit shell shocked right now with uh, with the way that uh, the team looks with Joel Embiid back for the Sixers. I do think, and Spo is one of the best at, in the in the in the league at making adjustments, uh, but I think. 
that there's some momentum to be had here if you're Philadelphia and you really have to ride it uh, if if you think you have a chance in this series. And if you don't and you want to go on vacation, then by all means, like play like how you you would normally play. But I think you have to elevate a little bit here and realize the opportunity to steal this game. Like I said, this is one of the most important games in any series. Steal this game on the road, go back to Philadelphia and win yourself a series. I'm going to take Miami. Wink. Yeah, that's wink. that's yeah, about wink. right. <laughs> a lot of winks here. Uh, for those just listening on the pod, I'm winking. I'm winking at both eyes back and forth. Um, that's no, called I'm, blinking. Well, I was alternating winks. Oh. I was alternating winks. Left wink, right wink. Um, I, look, I, for, for simple, just like the pessimistic side of me, I'm taking Miami. But no, I, I agree. I, I think this is Philly's game to win. I think game six in Toronto proved that this team is different um, and that this is a different level of this Sixers run post-process that we've seen. Uh, And I think Embiid, and you said that there too, which is a great thing. They look shell-shocked and they did. They look shell-shocked because even Jimmy Butler gave everything he had. And yet I still, I was, I mean, granted I was hungover. So I was like hurting and like trying to, I couldn't even muster up like a clap. Like I was hurting on the couch, but Jeez, Watch, that's like, bad. Yeah. And that was, you know, I, that was at, you know, 10 o'clock and when the fourth quarter was going on in this game, <laughs> but it, it felt like with Embiid on the court and it just felt like every single major possession, I was just like, I think the Sixers got this. And then on top of that, this is one of those games, like you see the frustration in Jimmy Butler. And we saw this in the regular season when they played the Warriors and the Miami was kind of going through a bit of a slump. And, and that's when they got in that, that bench brawl uh, with, among the, the the team and yeah. it kind of galvanized them a little bit but it it took a while for for everyone to figure out hey this is you know this is our leader and we need to be following him not it, uh, the other it looked way. like those young guys like i'm not worried about tyler here i think tyler here is gonna have a big game yeah but like yeah. the gabe vincens the mark strauss those guys i wouldn't be surprised if we see duncan robinson for the first time in this series i mean they just gave him 90 million dollars this past offseason now he hasn't played once in this series yeah um but, you know, I, I, I think we're going to see now I would actually rather I'd be more afraid of seeing Duncan Robinson than those other two guys. Um, but those those guys, man, like you could see it in their face a little bit that they were shook, you know, especially when those shots weren't going. And I think the fact that Kyle Lowry is just I, I think he's just a non-factor in this. You know, I mean, who is he guarding? Maxi, That's a problem. Harden. Yeah, don't that, do it. That's man. just going to it's just going to help <laughs> Harden. So I'm taking Miami. Um, but wink, wink, wink. Not wink, actually. Wink. Um, and then Phoenix, <laughs> Dallas, game five. Who do you got? Um, give me, give me Dallas. I think I think they're going to get Chris Paul back in foul trouble. Like if if they realize that's the recipe for success, and we're we're gonna like force DeAndre Ayton to be uh, an absolute uh, superstar monster, which he's I don't think he's there yet. Uh, and we're going to force Devin Booker into a minus 33. Like, yeah, uh, let's get Chris Paul in foul trouble. Um, granted, that's not easy to do. He's one of the more disciplined defenders in the league. But, yep. uh, but hey, if that's the recipe and, and you're letting Luka get 20-10-10, uh, get and 10, like, I'm there for that. Go Dallas. I'm taking also, Phoenix. I don't want to play them next round. <laughs> I'm taking Phoenix, but with the caveat that if Scott Foster is – officiating that game then uh i will switch Ooh. my pick to dallas but important, no important uh correction i think deandre Ayton has a big has a big game 
I do. I think he's got he's it. And I, and I think Mikael Bridges is also due. And I think the biggest thing is those, the, you know, Finney Smiths, those guys, the Klebas, they didn't play well on the road against Phoenix uh, when in Phoenix, I should say. So uh, I like the Suns to get back on track and win game five. So, all right, those are our picks. Uh, and uh, we'll take another break, come back, do a little Wells Fargo championship recap. Uh, talk a little Max Homa with another big win, a little Kentucky Derby, and we'll get you guys on your way to the rest of your week. All right, so we uh, talked about on Friday's pod, uh, but Scotty, myself, my buddy Andrew, my brother-in-law Kenny, we went down to the Wells Fargo Championship, or I guess up technically, Andrew came down, or Kenny came down from Philly. Uh, really, really fun weekend, boys' night on Friday, lots of beers and seltzers flowing, uh, and then Saturday we got up, we started getting after it a little bit, uh, the rain, not going to lie to y'all. The weather was miserable. It was, uh, like 50 degrees and pretty much rainy mist the whole time, but that wasn't going to stop us. We were going to have a good time other than a, a dickhead Uber driver, um, who canceled on us. We, uh, we had a really, <laughs> we had a, a really, really fun time. Um, we got there. And, uh, and we'll do highlights and stuff the, the whole time. We also ran into our long, long listener, Ryan Kikaiko. Shout out to him. Ran into some, some guys I went to like elementary school with who I hadn't seen probably since high school graduation, which was uh, fun to catch up with some of them. Um, it was a really, really fun event, just kind of top to bottom. I felt like the, the whole thing, being there, seeing all the grandstands set up, um, the energy was high from people there, despite the weather kind of being shitty. And it couldn't have started out on a better note because we got there and the, the, the driving range was right past, like right when you walked in. Right. So we get through the gates, our Uber's there, we walk up and who's teeing off, who's practicing on the range before he's about to go tee off one Rory McElroy. So right off mm. the bat, we get in there. The buzz is already like, I heard a couple of people like, yeah, Rory's on the range. Rory's and I just like beelined it over to the railing. I was like, I got to go get up there. So Scotty and I, like we ran up, Andrew and Kenny, they went and started getting some beers or whatever. And we just went right up and we're watching them tee off and uh, watching him on the range. And it's just when you see PGA guys, and this is the first time I'd ever gotten a chance to see them. um, It sucked because it was so overcast and rainy. You lost the ball the second it hit the the face. Like you couldn't trace the balls. I think between the four of us, like you guys had seen one or two, but like unless it was stuff around the green, you really couldn't track the ball in the air, which was kind of a bummer. Um, but the swing, the power, the noise that their clubs make when hitting the ball is just spectacular. And, uh, and what was cool is, so you and I are sitting there, we're watching Rory take some videos and he heads off. And one of the caddies, I think, or I think it was one of the caddies, um, for one of the other players was standing right by. And so I kind of called him over when you and I were standing up against the fence and I was like, I was like, Oh, is that, was those, are those Rory's practice balls? Like his ones he was hitting. And he was like, yeah, it was like, I was like, Oh, I've always wondered, like, are they, do they use like the TP five X's or the pro V ones? Like when they're warming up and, and the guy handed me a ball was letting me kind of look at it. And, and so I have it right here because he gave it to me. He let me keep it. And he said, you can see on the YouTube, that black dot. He said, we don't know the difference between a TP five X and the ones that Rory uses. He's like, the only thing we know is that Rory gets the ones with the black dot. He's like, Rory hits the ones with the black dot. Everyone else hits regular TP five X's, which I guess, look, when you're Rory McIlroy, you can do that. Um, and so he handed me that, and I just like I was like a kid in a candy store. I was like, yeah, "Can I can I keep this?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." And so I start like fangirling. It was I said this to you guys when we were there, but like it was really cool to be at a sporting event for the first time 
when you felt like a kid again. You know, like I mm-hmm. had that excitement of like going to spring training or something and you're like right there and the players are right there or, or catching a foul ball or watching batting practice. And that like youthful exuberance that you kind of have when you're just getting all hyped up for it. And so he could hear me kind of freaking out. And he said, oh, do you really want to freak out? And I said, sure. And he handed me a T, which is a broken T. And you're probably not going to be able to read that, uh, but it says roars on it. And he and Roy has his own practice tees. It's cracked. He did hit it on the range. He let me take this too. So I left that day with a tailor-made golf ball that Roy McIlroy was using uh, around the green when he was warming up and a broken tee that he hit with his stealth driver from TaylorMade. And uh, I said to you then, and I stand by this, didn't matter what happened the rest of the day. I was happy. <laughs> I was a happy camper, man, for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah, you were. Uh, I know. That was cool, man. And you were like the, the way that you – you can get access to to some of these guys, particularly at a PGA event is so much different than in any other sport because like completely different. I mean, like in any other time you have to go to the park super early or the stadium and you have to hope that the, uh, the usher working there will let you down toward the, uh, toward the court side or which gets incredibly uh, more difficult to do the older you get. When you're a kid, yeah. oh, they'll be like, oh, you know, oh, him and his dad, yeah, you can especially, go ahead down there. Yeah, especially if but you're standing there with a couple of beers, you're like, hey, can I go down? <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So, uh, so yeah, it's 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 unlike a PGA event is unlike any of that. And I'm glad you got to experience the the first one. I haven't been in in uh, in uh, just about twelve years uh, to an event, so uh, I'm glad I got to go to. It was a fun time. It was a good time. Uh, there were a lot of drinks flowing. Uh, I might have I might have been wobbling a little bit standing next to the uh, the tee box. <laughs> I think it was when Tony Finau was was teeing off on, uh, yeah, on number yeah. eight. Um, it was not like a like stumbling. It was just that like you know when you're when you've had when you've been drinking all day and it was cold and rainy and like, I was underdressed too, so I was like really not feeling some of it. And I was just kind of up against the rope and I'm like ten feet from Tony Finau teeing off. And it was just kind of like that little bit. And I'm also like on a side slope, right? Yeah. Just a little bit of a, a little bit of a fade back. And Scotty was right there. He, he's like, he's like, Hey, you're good, buddy. Just a little tap on the back. Um, but nothing <laughs> that a couple of waters and some hot dogs, you know, weren't able to cure up. Yeah. And um, it was cool, man. We went right down well, the- there. At, I think number nine, the, the par three there at the back end of the front. Uh, we hung around around there, the tee box down there uh, around the green. And it is crazy too. I, I, when you're standing around the green at a par three, especially when you can't see the ball coming in, it just appears on the green. Like you, you, all of a sudden you just hear the thump and, it, and you're it hoping makes, they don't go long and whack you in the face. Yeah. That's what I mean, like I'm sitting there, like at one point I was like, Oh shit. Like when, as soon as you see them swing, you just lose the ball in the air. Yeah. Because they're already with the fog and everything. Like you couldn't really see when they, exactly they were teeing off. And you're also, you know, a couple hundred yards away. And like, you start to get a little worried, man. Like, oh shit, did I, you know, I'm about to get hit or, and then of course, and then that weather, the you wouldn't see it until the last second. Exactly. Yeah, you you wouldn't know it until it and hit then the, So, so when we were greenside, it was, it was fun. Cause the guys coming up, uh, you know, who hit good shots, uh, who ne- didn't necessarily know. Cause one of the holes that we were greenside on was sloped uphill. Mm-hmm. So your shot was a little bit blind. And so it was like, if they had hit a, a good shot onto the green, uh, 
you know, them walking up or right by the ropes, I'd be like, you're going to love that. Or you're yeah. going to hate that shot. Oh, depending yeah. on how right. it was. Gonna... And then in the tee box, we just said to the, everybody who teed off, we're going to, you're going to love that. Uh, you're going to love that. that shot. There were definitely <laughs> probably a parent or two there with their kid who were like, God, these drunk assholes, you know, like, like <laughs> we weren't obnoxious. Like we weren't the, get in the hole. Like we weren't doing any of that. It was just, well, like, no, I, I did. I did, did at one, one point call Brian Harmon, the real lefty. The real... Uh, and everybody loved that one. <laughs> Uh, because yeah. it, it was, it, I was, I was making a slide at Phil Mickelson's expense. So no, it was, yeah, it was. And people uh, around the, around the ninth green love that one. <laughs> we got a, you got a good, I remember that you got a good little chuckle out of that one. The real lefty Brian Harmon, one of my favorite players. Uh, I remember at one point we were walking up, uh, I think it was number eight green or number seven green. Um, but we're walking up and, and we're right behind there. And one of the guys I wanted to see really badly was Joel Damon, who was actually the leader after day one, his game kind of fell apart in the next couple of days, but I, we're sitting there and I'm like, again, cause when you're there, you are literally only six, seven feet and rough before the fringe. And then it's the green and I'm sitting there. I got a good spot. Cause it was the backside of the green next up to number eight T box, which is a par five. So you could see the par four come in and you could run over and watch the guys ting off there. And I got up there and someone was, was putting on the green. I like ran over and found a spot and it was just Joel Damon. Who's like 10 feet away from you. And you know, he hit, uh, he putted it, you know, like a foot out or something. And, and it was, it was just really cool to be that close. Um, and the list of guys that I wanted to see, I'm pretty sure we hit everyone. Like we saw Brian Harmon, who's a little bit lower on the list, but wanted to see him. Uh, we saw Joel Damon. Um, but then like the big ones, Tony Fina watching him swing a driver in real life with his half swing is just insane. Cause he is a huge dude. Like you see him in person, you're like, he, you, you might be a small the other thing in the NBA. It's like you, you like you hear how, how tall some of these guys are. And for golfers, it, like sometimes you don't even think about it. Like you don't even care. Cause you just see him on the screen for the most part, unless you go to an event. And there was one, I think it was Stuart sink came into the green and I was like, yeah, he shit, this guy's huge. I didn't realize how big he was. Yeah. Stuart Sinks. Because uh, well, he's, he's old. I mean, Stuart Sinks in his fifties, you know, so yeah. at his, but that's the only way football. he can, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But like the only way he can still play on the tour at a high level. And he won at um, the RBC last year in Hilton head. The only reason he can still do it is because he is a big dude. So his swing speed's not great, but, and that was the other thing too, is it, it works both ways because when you see Rory in person, you're like, wow, Rory McIlroy's small. Like I've always heard, yeah, I mean, Roy he's, he's like my height. <laughs> yeah, like I've always heard Roy McIlroy is like a, a shorter dude, but then you see him in person, you're like, no, he's really small, and his swing is this violent, full go driver swing. He's a strong guy. Oh he yeah, double for cheeks sure. both swings, man. I mean, oh yeah, Jesus. <laughs> but he also is like the second or first longest hitter on tour. Um, he's at least in the top three. And then Tony Finau at six, five does these little three quarter half swings with his driver and it goes just as far. And it's golf is just so weird that way. Um, and then the last guy we saw was the guy who won. It was, I think it was the last, uh, the last guy we really sell tee off there on three, which was Max Homa. You, you yes, me, I, I ended up staying to find to see Jason day tee off. Oh, that's night. true. That's true. Um, but that was awesome. Seeing Max followed him up from, from the tee box there on the par three, all the way up to the green. Yeah. Uh, Keiko kept chirping at him. He's like, Hey, you know, cut day was yesterday. You're not supposed to be here, Max. Uh, and, uh, cause, you know, Max never makes, and he goes cut, out but, and wins the thing and he goes out and wins <laughs> Max is, And he's even before all the part of my take stuff, I followed him on Twitter and really just loved the dude. I thought he was hilarious. 
Uh, and last year, the first time I ever bet on golf uh, was at Riviera when he won. I had him as a long shot to win. He wins. And so immediately you're going to love that dude forever. You know, all of a sudden yeah. a $5 bet nets you a couple hundred bucks and you're a fan for life. And uh, it was cool to be that close <laughs> with Max and some of those other guys just right there and personal. And then, which we didn't realize they were doing a shotgun start. So Rory actually started the day at 10. And then as we were getting ready to kind of start to leave, we saw Rory teeing off at 11 or sorry, at number one um, for his, the start of his back half and seeing Rory swing on a, on a hole again, couldn't see it. Um, I might've let out a Rory yell. I might've, that might've been the one time I did the whole, the whole time, but uh, that was cool. The whole thing was a ton of fun. Uh, and then we went back and, and I got after a little bit more and, and yeah, the rest of the night was a little, little hazy. Um, but the day itself was awesome. Like a good IPA, like a good, <laughs> like a good IPA. It was a little hazy. Um, but I'm excited because the, the next event, uh, there'll definitely be less drinking in the morning. Uh, because yeah, it's, it was an all day oh, affair. No we also did the, we also did the dumb thing where we like, because it was cold and we didn't know how, and as it turns out, there are places you could get beer like within a couple hundred yards of each other. And I thought it was based on the map. It was going to be a lot more spread out than that. So every time we went, like I made sure I had a second beer. Cause like, you know, sometimes you want to just double up and it makes it easier Didn't know how far we were going to walk. Uh, definitely won't be doing that next time. Uh, the next time we'll, we'll just keep it one at a time. Cause eventually you'll go up another hole, another two holes, and there'll be more places for you to buy beer, which uh, I guess in hindsight probably could have been preventable. But, um, and the other thing too, is the weather was just not, was just not great. It just wasn't. Yeah. Eh. But, but we made the most it was, of it. It was rare. Yeah. It was, it was rare for mid May, yeah. uh, especially around here, but like, and yeah. then I look out it right now fun. and it's, it's 70 degrees and sunny all day here. And yeah. you're like, uh, naturally, even Sunday, we've gotten, it, it was, at least it didn't rain on Sunday. You know, if we had yeah. just had the no rain, I think it would have been better. Didn't wear anything waterproof, which was, that was a planning fault on, on my end. Um, but you know what? Still had an awesome time. The four of us made the most out of it. We lost Andrew, which I told you guys was going to happen. Uh, just a complete disappearance. His phone died. Uh, but we still got him back. We walked up 18 too, which was cool. Um, just a lot of really awesome stuff. So I'm, I encourage everybody uh, when you get a chance to um, go to one just walk around. It's a great environment. And it's typically, I mean, the, the property was beautiful. Uh, and to see all yeah. that in person was really special. Uh, the other big event that was on Saturday was the Kentucky Derby. Um, longest shot in the history. Second longest shot, I think, in the history of the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, second, uh, longest, second, than, yeah. longest than 100 <laughs> years, because I think the last one was like 1913. Um, I'll be honest, and this is probably not a super popular opinion, but I think the Kentucky Derby is the most overrated sporting event in like all of sports. Like now, why? <laughs> I get that it's cool. I get that because it's a of one-off. the spectacle. It's just it's a two-minute race. And and I get that other people like they make a day out of it and you bet on every single race and you get all dressed up and you drink the mint juleps and all this shit. It's horse racing, like it's the most degenerate of degenerate things, except everyone tries to dress up all fancy and make themselves not feel like degenerates for betting on horses all day. And like, look, bet on you would have bet on. I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I can watch, I can watch the clip on Twitter and it's just as exciting watching it on Twitter and the two minutes when it's the actual race and everyone's around TV. You're like, yeah, that's electric. I'm not going to argue with that, but all of that, like, I don't care about any of the other races. I'm not betting on horses. Betting on horses is like, I might as well just go, you know, to a roulette table. Like, 
unless you're like really, really into it and you follow it, I just don't see the appeal of it. I don't know. Maybe that's just old man young at clouds. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't get why the Kentucky Derby is as like, Oh my God, this is this amazing thing. It just doesn't really make sense to me. Look, it's, it's a spectacle. I don't pay attention to any horse racing period, save for the Kentucky Derby, the Prickness and the Belmont. That's it. Yeah. Those are the only three events on horse racing I'll ever watch. So uh, I don't know. It's fun. I've always kind of wanted to do the the thing at at uh, at at the Kentucky Derby and Churchill Downs. Uh, go hang out and yeah. Uh, I'll you know, tell you what. If somebody if somebody there. said, "Hey Jeff, here's a free ticket to come stand in this, sit in the grandstands and do it once," yeah, I would do it. I, yeah, I, I would once. It's a one time thing. I don't need to go every year. That that's just one of those like one time sports bucket list things. It's like, I don't know. Like, I, it's six. I mean, think about it. The three in the, the pinnacle of that sport comes down to six minutes, right? The two minutes at the Kentucky Derby, the two minutes of the Preakness, and the two minutes of the Belmont. I'm pretty sure one of those is like a speed track, is like a shorter track. So, like, that one's yeah, probably so, like a minute long. I just, so males should be uh, super enthralled by this because that's as, most of the time that this, I, as they <laughs> tend to be, Scott. <laughs> not with roman swipes new sponsor no i'm just kidding um unless roman swipes wants to sponsor this podcast which is please we would love that um I'll, I'll gladly do that um but no the whole thing uh i don't know i i get it kind of I, I think it's and actually i heard rosillo say this the other day and i wish i'd come up with it but you know cinco de mayo all these other holidays that pop up it's just an excuse for people to drink during the day that's all we're looking for Right, we're all looking for more. Do it. Mow the lawn <laughs> on a Saturday. That's my excuse. Like, what do you us, want? <laughs> but it makes us feel better, right? It makes you feel less of like, oh, you know. We all just look for events that we can center drinking around. That's why every event has like a signature cocktail. That's why the mint julep exists, right? It's like who else? Who's going to a bar, you know, at, on a random day in October when college football's on and being like, hey, can I get a mint julep, right? Or, or even if you're going if to a nice an dinner, LSU game. <laughs> yeah maybe but like if you're going to a nice dinner or something like it's like oh give me a mint julep that sounds no if you drink it at one place you probably aren't going to like it because it's mint in a drink with uh, which other than mojitos i guess is like the other big thing that has mint. i don't know maybe i'm just an old man maybe i'm maybe i'm just looking for things to bitch about i don't know you sound That's, a bit curmudgeon it's a little curmudgeonly and also we're just all this after we just talked about how awesome it was to go golfing and do the exact same thing but just on a <laughs> golf course right so at least there's humans doing skills. Horses running. That's the other thing, too. It always just feels gross. It's like these horses, I don't know. I guess they have pretty great lives. They just become studs for the rest of their life. But I don't know. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, they last, do. Last but, thing, I mean, the, the comeback was really cool. Like, just like in terms of the, the actual race itself this year, the 81 oh, shot red strike winning. The, the final mile and a quarter, which was record-setting, uh, was just unbelievable. If you have a chance, go find it on Twitter. There's a great shot from overhead that shows the comeback, and he's in the back third, uh, and with a, a with it's absurd, uh, probably less than a mile to go, uh, and and just an absolute blitz of a run to get up to the front. Well, I think the first uh, and, quarter, and it was, it was like the first quarter mile, they said was like pace wise was the fastest quarter first quarter mile that they've had like in years for the like, field yeah yeah like that it was just everyone got burnt out so fast and then yeah rich what's it rich uh strike, rich strike. Name? Rich yeah. strike dick strike uh 
Jesus. Uh, just like coming out of nowhere. I mean, it, it was electric, but that's also, that's a once every hundred a year thing. Literally once every hundred years, you get that. Right. And it's like, am, am I really going to make a big deal out of that for, for two minutes? I mean, it was amazing. That part of it was electric. I'm totally there for it. But like, I don't know, man, just didn't really do it for me. doesn't really do it for me. Um, last thing I want to stay here as we wrap up the pod. Um, Long time Philadelphia sports writer, uh, radio personality, TV personality, and pro football hall of famer, Ray Didinger announced he is retiring um, at the end of this month from all media, um, 75 years old. And when I talk to people about why I wanted to get into this industry, why I wanted to do what I did, or, or people that I, whose opinions I respect, um, Ray Didinger is at the top of that list for pretty much every single one of them. Um, the most sensible yet passionate, genuine, kind-hearted sports fan you'll ever meet in your life. The dude has covered the Eagles for 53 years, uh, is a pro football Hall of Famer in Canton. Um, he votes on the Eagles Ring of Honor. Uh, the Eagles put out a statement, you know, acknowledge Jeffrey Lurie put out a statement acknowledging him. I mean, he is every single Philadelphia sports fan's favorite media personality. Um, and he's a huge reason of why I got in this industry. And, and whenever, you know, my mom will text me and be like, oh, what did you think of this? Or what, you know, what did you think of that that happens in sports? I'll text her back. And whenever she says like, oh, Diddy said the same thing. I, it's like this weird set of affirmation for me, right? Because I don't hear every single thing he does. But to me, like his word is gold. And there is, I would say like two media personalities in the entire industry I would say that about him and I'll, even Ryan Rossello, I wouldn't even put in that same category, but I think he's up there um, when it comes to NBA stuff. And Diddy was, again, a huge reason for me, huge inspiration for me. Um, and he's just the best. I mean, he's been on Eagles post game live since its inception in 1997. He's been around the team. I mean, he's just, he's the best. Um, always so articulate, always so well thought out. And one of the all time rants, this was the morning of the Super Bowl against the Patriots in, in 2017, 2018. They did a crossover with NBC Sports where it was Michael Barkan and Diddy from Philly and then two guys from New England. And the New England guys were, you know, calling Philly fans a thug and this undertone of violence. And this guy was a little bit younger. And Diddy was like, you want to talk about thug fans? He's like, why don't we, why don't you go? I forget the name of the stadium. He's like, why don't we go back to the old stadium before New England fans won anything? The vet? You know, and well, talking about the one up in New England. Oh, in New England. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, no, and he was no, like, no, you know, no. let's go up there. He's like, he's like, they were the worst fans in the NFL. He's like, and then what happened? The Patriots started winning and all of a sudden you guys became nicer, you know? And, and the guy was like, oh, this was 40 years ago, Ray. And Diddy goes, he's like, yeah, but you guys still talk about Santa Claus. And that was 60 years ago you know, and just completely gave it right back to him in, in such a fantastic way. Um, and, and of course, in the way that this is what makes Diddy so great is he, he let his Philly passion jump out there for a second and then immediately went back to the rational brain side of him where he was like, I like Boston. I think Boston's an amazing sports town. He's like, I think it's very similar to Philadelphia. He's like, but let's be honest. He's like people in Boston, New England, didn't even know there was a football team there until Tom Brady got there and they started winning. And it was, it was just so well said. And um, so just shout out to Diddy, 75 years old, wants to watch his granddaughters, uh, you know, playing field hockey and stuff around Gwen and Mercy and doing some other great stuff there. So he will be missed, uh, but an absolute gold standard and, and a legend in the uh, industry. So happy retirements to you, sir. Uh, that's all I got. Anything else from you, Scotty? 
Go Warriors. Go Warriors. Uh, we will see tonight. Again, remember. And Sixers. Uh, for you. And Sixers. Yeah. Scotty's got Milwaukee, Golden State, Philly, and Dallas over the next two days. I got Boston, Golden State, Philly, and Phoenix. So a couple of Philly, wink, wink, Miami, wink, wink, you know. But I'm riding with the Sixers. I'm going to be right this time. We're turning it around. Uh, for Scotty, I'm Jeff. Great story from Vito coming on Friday's pod. Uh, going to talk some NFL stuff as well as the schedule gets released. So stay tuned for that. And we'll get to you guys then. Take it easy, everybody. Not so fast. We're not done with the pod yet. Just as we were wrapping up, uh, Vito texted us and said, yo, boys, are you on? And so I did hint at this at the top of the pod that there was a chance this might happen. It is. We got Vito on here. So I teased. I, I basically told the audience and our listeners as much as you told us, which is that you went out with three Eagles rookies on Saturday night. Uh, your boy Grant. Carson Strong, the undrafted free agent, and then Cam Jurgens, the second-round center. Um, and so, honestly, dude, just ball in your court. Go ahead, let it rip, and uh, and tell us how every tell us everything, every detail. I want the full play-by-play. Yeah, man. So um, it worked out. I was coming back from Cleveland. The rookies finished up their mini camp, and and they got to kind of head out Sunday morning. Was kind of when they were le- leaving. So um, I texted Grant was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be back. And I wanted to at least show him the cheesesteak place that I love Jim's that's nearby here. And, uh, and so he was like, yeah, coming through, going to grab like some of the other guys want to do something and don't have anyone else, you know, they know in town kind of deal. And I was like, no problem. So they joined us up. We hit up milk boy, had a couple drinks, just got to know the guys a little bit. Um, and they were asking a lot of questions about Philly, man. It was great. Uh, it was really, really fun. They had some cheesesteaks. Um, and they went with provolone. That was my, my move. I'm not a whiz wit guy. So, uh, anyway, so they, they like, uh, I they definitely like those, but, um, it was funny. One of them was just saying how like Cam was like, it's a little, like, it, there's not enough, there wasn't enough flavor to it. You could tell he's probably, and I said, you're going to love Permani bros. You're definitely on the hoagie side of the Philly cheesesteak oh, yeah. hoagie debate then. Um, anyway, but no, we hung out. And then after that, um, you know, went, went out of, a little bit, but, uh, nothing too crazy, but it was, it was really funny because, uh, um, we were talking, but you could tell they were just like kids that are now in Philadelphia. So cam, um, he's from Nebraska and grew up there and like went there. And, and so uh, a little different, you know, being downtown in a city than, than, um, especially in Philly, like one of the biggest cities in the country. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, Carson strong, great dude out of Nevada. Um, we were just talking football, man. Like we were honestly just talking about different players who they had played with. And, um, they were more talking about like guys who are pro now and, and, you know, um, how their camp went. It sounds like all three of them had a really great rookie mini camp, which is the best part of it all. Like, I think that capped it off pretty, pretty strong there. Just, uh, being able to see them and see how, like how much work they put in. And then it was funny. Cause then afterwards I go back, read the reports like, you know, yesterday and, and they all like, coaches and everything said they did well in the scouts or in the, in the uh, media, but on that night, then like, yeah, we went to, to milk boy. Then we went out a little bit and uh, I forgot like, um, cause I'd hung out with Grant a few times down in Oklahoma, but I forgot what it was like to be with like a star, let alone now, like an NFL player, because like walking around, it was funny. It was like, Oh, well, we could go there, but there might be a line. And they were like, don't like, they're just kind of like, dude, we don't like, we'll just go tell them. We'll, we'll like, and they weren't like that, but they were just like, it was funny. They're like, oh yeah, lines. You know what I mean? You could tell like 
because at, at each of their campuses, right, they were like the big man on campus. Oh, so yeah. Like, that's sure. every NFL player. And, and I'm sure it was literally probably, it was just one of those things where it was raining. It wasn't like they were assuming. It. I don't want to say that, but it was like, oh, yeah, like they were just kind of like also in college towns, not in a city where our lines are a little different. You know what I mean? Well, and uh, there are perks that come with being a professional athlete. One of them being, especially in a town like Philly, no Eagle. I would never expect any Jake Elliott. Like you pick anyone if you're on the Eagles you're going to get a chance to just cut the line and everyone yeah. in line will be like, no, please take my spot. Like, that's yeah, not oh, yeah. A, oh yeah. It's, it's not like a, they're being cocky or anything. It's no. definitely more just like, that's kind of the reality and why it's awesome being a pro athlete. And that's what was so funny from my standpoint. But anyway, we went out, it was like misty and raining. So I was like, it's probably going to be dead out. We'll go to a, like a, a bar. That's just more like we can sit and talk. Of course we get in there and it's packed. And <laughs> like, I think cause it was wet and rainy, everyone just flooded inside, but it was a, uh, it was really fun to just like hang out with them, have a couple drinks. Um, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely a good time. And uh, we were out like we weren't out too late because they all had flights the next morning. So it was kind of a, wasn't too crazy of a night or anything like that, but it was, it was really fun just to like, I don't know, I guess be a, be a fourth wheel on the like three rookies celebrating. They got through rookie minicamp. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Helping them then, get to their new city, get acquainted with it. You know, well, and that was at least fun too. Just being like, Oh, I'll show you a couple spots here. Like w- walk by a blind barber was a good spot. Um, uh, went, went, yeah, Scotty knows it's, uh, went, went to a couple That's different a good spots one. or at least showed them right. As we were walking around. So that was fun, but definitely, uh, excited to see what those three do. And, and, um, cause I was looking obviously, uh, Jurgen got Jurgens got drafted in the second round. Grant was in the sixth. Carson Strong was a free agent, mm-hmm. but um, I looked at like I couldn't believe it. He he actually I can believe it, but I guess what I'm saying is is he got one of the biggest deals an undrafted rookie free agent ever had, or a signing bonus of 300k. Yeah. So um, you know I, I he was he was slinging it. He's a confident dude. Like just talking to him, he's like, yeah, like you know, he's like, I, you know, there's there's obviously. Um, like he was talking about the room. He's like, there's obviously Jalen hurts, but like, he's like, we're all competing, man. Like we're all com-. like, that's his attitude, right? It's yeah. like, he's one of the guys. So um, that's awesome to see an undrafted rookie, you know, that QB confidence is legendary. I, I have a couple questions. I'm sure Scotty does too. Who, if, if any of the three of them, did anyone get recognized? Yeah. Cam did. See, okay. We said yeah. that at the top of the pod. I said, if anyone, because he's, his videos have gone like viral. So I feel like somebody would have had to, but then also like, Grant's probably was probably the biggest because Carson Strong's like six two, six three, right? Yeah. Grant's like six five. So Grant is walking around. But Scotty said this too. How funny was the dichotomy between the three <laughs> of them and then Vito? Who I speculate, I said that you were probably somewhere from you're not five six, probably five eight. Is that right? Yeah, five eight, five, okay. five eight. Yeah. So 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 definitely a very big height difference. So the best part is um we're at dinner and and uh when we're eating cheesesteaks, the waitress kind of recognized, well, Cam was wearing his, an Eagles like sweatshirt, like gear and a hat. And so she came over and said, Oh, you guys players. And they all said what they were. And then she looked at me, she's like receiver. And I was like, yep. And I just like, I was like, let's roll with that. Like I'll be a receiver or whatever. Long then, snapper. Yeah, I'll, take, I'll take whatever I can get, man. I'm a little, they were, as we were walking around like, yeah, you can be West Welker in the slot. Why not? You know? Um, but then the next time they got recognized, it was so funny. They were going around and, and saying their positions. And it was again, like I, I, I was sitting there and they came to me and they were like, uh, not to be me, but are you like a kicker? And I was just like, this is the most perfect thing. I was like, no, no. I said, I, said, I told them, 
I said I they said, probably would have thought you were the, their agent or like, you know, something like that. <laughs> if I would have worn a suit, I should have just worn a full suit and, and just to get that. But no, it was it was really fun, man. I They're, they're definitely uh, it was a reminder that even though these guys are big and these guys are, uh, you know, have looked like they're men since they were probably all 17. They're all like 22 to 23 year old kids. And yeah. they were just like, it was so wild because we we were like walking by someplace like, oh, that looks like kind of a college bar. And I was like, it was just trying to correlate what this was to their experience so far. And, and yeah. it was it was really fun to be a part of for sure. And I hope uh, hope to have a couple more nights out with those boys. They were pretty fun. Yeah. So the rookie contracts hit. And I know one of those guys you were out with was a second rounder who paid for drinks. Were you That's- the gracious host? Or, uh, or, or did you let the, uh, the NFL guys get their, uh, get their, uh, wallets out when it, when it came time to pay? No, man, I, I covered cheesesteaks. I told him you're in Philly. This is a Philly move. So I, <laughs> I covered the cheesesteaks in the first like well spot. Done. Good um, man. And then, and then at the next spot I got, you know, the people, people covered me, but it was, uh, no, I mean, at the end of the day, they're still kids and, and I'm glad they have it, but like, I'm sure that's a whole, I don't know. That's a whole nother level for them. Oh yeah. Uh, and oh yeah, and I, f- I just figured too, like I would do this with, I did. So Grant's a triplet, right. When I went out with Andrew after he graduated, every time I saw him, like I'll cover their stuff. Like, it's just the, the fact that like, I've been working for a lot longer, Yeah. but, but yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it was funny. Cause afterwards Grant was like, I, I, I got your next one, you know, like I'll get you back. Like, and I was like, no, dude, don't, don't like, this is a cheesesteak for a friend, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's, it's going to be. And it's also like, yeah, that little older brother kind of mentality. Yeah, that was with totally that too. It, right. Like, no, um, I, I got to take care of this. Yeah. All right. Two other things I got to ask about this one. Was there any talk about how just enormous of a human being Jordan Davis was after they yes. just worked out? Them? Yeah. Yes. Like, Mo- give us, like, give me the lowdown. Dude. Get me excited. Because My other question is going to be like, Give me any details you have about how rookie Manny camp with Nicobe Dean and all those guys. Like, just give me as much Eagles porn as you can right now. Okay. So they were like, Nicobe Dean is so fast. Right. Um, but they were just saying like, it also was Uh-oh. weird because he's no, because he was next to Jordan Davis because he went to college. So he's like, of all the guys there, he was one of the smaller guys actually. Right. And like, and then you had Jordan Davis who they said is the, the biggest, most athletic guy they're just like, he's so athletic. Like they couldn't stop saying how athletic he was for his size. Like, it's just incredible. Like he moves so well and it doesn't make sense. And he's like so skilled. And they were just like, yeah, it's just because we were walking by and in the, well, it was cool too. Cause like you said, I'm, I'm not on the taller side of the scale. And so walking around the bar with them, it was like, oh yeah, let's go over to that corner. And then we just like walked. There. Well, you never lost like, them probably. No, no. And they, they were, um, but but it was just so funny because even as we we're doing that, right? Like, let's go over there. And they're like, all right, Falcon. They like the car the car's so strong, like call the play basically for Grant. And uh, like, I think it was a stretch run play of like to the right. It was just so funny. Um, but they were, uh, no, they, they were talking about him and just how well he moved. And it was funny because the one comment was like, we're sitting around the table eating at this point. So, you know, conversation dies down. And then at one point someone had mentioned like, you know, Cam, you're going to have to like, one-on-one block that guy in practice. It was just, like, it was just like it was just thrown out there and ever and he was like god he's like i'm gonna be he's like he's gonna make us so good you know like that was the comment oh, yeah. like it was so funny though yeah they they were all super impressed with him they said a lot of the, the like um especially the drafted guys did really well some of those guys who signed like you said it was really good class for unsigned free agents you called that since before the draft so yeah. uh it's showing up now and you're seeing a lot of guys um get brought in like more than, than usual and probably will stay around camp for a little while longer than usual. 
That's awesome, man. Uh, any any talks about AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts, any of that stuff come up? We talked Jalen a little bit because Grant knew him and everything, but um, it, not much, honestly. Mostly about uh, I would just say like the AJ Brown thing was just like this is like the room is sick. They're like the pass catch, the, the skill on this team is really sick. So like they they were all excited to get to regular camp. So like right now, right, it's just rookies and and they're doing you know they're learning a lot and uh, a lot of mental side and and they all were really um, you know they put a lot of work not on the field in the last, like, you know, since they've been drafted. And so yeah. um, it was, if you could tell it was kind of relieving that they got through that and pretty well, but you can tell that now um, that when they get back in, in about a week or so with the whole team, that's when um, I'm excited to, to hear about how they're doing because that's, that's a whole different level, right. Getting to play. Um, they were, they were doing more walkthroughs, right. And getting the playbook down than, than playing. So like that, that'll be cool to see. That's so cool, man. What a night. Yeah. What a night we all had. I mean, like I thought my Saturday was cool. Cause I, <laughs> as we talked about on the pod, I have Roy McElroy's practice ball and tea from the That's awesome. event. Right. It was like I, Scotty and I are walking around seeing like Tony Finau and Rory and all these guys play and you're just hanging out with it. Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. So we all had a pretty good, uh, Saturday yeah, good weekend. It sounds like man. Awesome. awesome. All right. Well, now we can officially say the pod is over. I'm glad we squeezed this in. Thank you for hopping on Last Minute Veto. Scotty, you're the best. And for real this time, take it easy, everybody. <laughs>